Welcome to the Living Rooted Podcast. This season, we're diving into powerful truths from Scripture and sharing stories that help to unveil the lies and false agreements that keep many of us from living loved and loving others well. Join us on a transformative journey as we explore what it means to live rooted in God's love. We want to talk about depression and anxiety today. Mm-hmm. We would say those are feelings, not emotions. Mm-hmm. I'm okay with or both. Or a state of being. Or mm-hmm. a, yeah. I'm okay with that. I feel or an emotion. I, the reason why I want to talk about it is because it's like the number one thing that people put on their intake forms when they come see me. If it's an individual issue, it's the number one thing they'll put anxiety or depression. Well, maybe we'll talk about anger a bit today. We might not get to it. We'll talk about it another day. But anxiety, depression is the number one thing I'm seeing these last five years. And then, of course, the last three years, COVID stuff, political stuff, all that, a lot of strife. Um, it's probably more anger than people realize. But, yeah, I think it's good to talk about these emotions. And they fit in with the previous episode because what you believe about you then flows to how you feel. Right? So um, if someone's going to a situation that they can't really control they're going to have anxiety, but they might fret they can't control it or believe they have what it takes to face that thing because they've never done it before. So is the anxiety a motor neuron misfiring issue Mm -hmm. or is it actually how they view themselves in light of their wounds of their past and the agreements they made with those wounds coming into that scenario? And then prolonged anxiety over time can lead to depression, but depression could have been secondary. So we can talk through these things a bit and some ideas and maybe there's some remedy just through talking with it and really what is God the Father's heart toward those emotions? What does the Spirit want to do in the face of each one of them? I got some ideas yeah, or some at least some things that help me. And that's really what we want to offer is whatever's helped us. When you think of anxiety, what comes to your mind with that emotion? I think for me, it often manifests itself as like cyclical endless thoughts like ruminating just on the same thing over and over again. And it it often has to do with something I do not know. That's exactly what I would say. If I was setting up a chart of sorts, I would set up the chart with the phrase, when I perceive my goal as uncertain. So the goal could be noble or not. I don't care. So your goal could be, I want new changes in my life. I want new work or a new location. I want this relationship to work out, whatever. Your perception of that goal, you'll almost always see emotions with it. So if you perceive that goal to be uncertain, I may or may not get what I want, guess what emotion you're going to have? Anxiety. Anxiety every time. Yeah. Every time. Even if you want to rob a bank, I don't care if the goal is immoral. You want to rob a bank, are the cops going to be there? Is I going to catch? Is my team good enough? Is my gear good enough? Maybe I've thought about it too much. But you're going to have anxiety, okay? Yeah. So it doesn't matter about the morality of the goal. Here comes mm. that anxiety. Uncertainty. And really what the spirit wants to cultivate in the face of emotions is character. So if the emotion is uncertainty or anxiety, the spirit of the Lord wants to cultivate something else in that same moment. So our flesh, our mind, our bodies demand the emotion of fear, anxiety. Fear might be a good Bible word. We do see anxiety in the Bible a few times. Some translations like cast all your anxieties to him because he cares for you. Awesome. First Peter 5, 7. It's awesome. The Spirit of the Lord wants to cultivate character. And we'll talk about maybe what the antidote is to that emotion in a second. 
character really is the ability to meet the demands of reality. I think Henry Cloud said that in the book Integrity. It's an awesome definition. The ability to meet the demands of reality. Mm. Character is cultivated in pain. No pain, no gain, they used to say decades ago. It's only true of their bodies, but it's true in character. So if you want to grow in the characteristic of something, you're going to have to face the pain of that very same thing. Yeah. So back to uncertainty. So anxiety looks different for different people, but a common sentiment is like that chatter of mind or the constant thinking, right? So like someone could be in the shower washing their hair saying something like they have a big meeting with a boss later and they're saying in the shower they're saying to themselves, if they say this, I'll say this. If they say this, I'll say this. If they say this, I'll say this. That's a control technique to try to get in a future, like a time machine to go to the future to undo that anxiety. Mm. So the real wonder is... What does the spirit want to do in that? But before we get to that, what do we do in our anxiety? The two options as I see it is control, like that fake chatter of mind, that future conversation. Or I'm going to read everything about everything. I'm going to know everything about everything. Fear always moves to control. Almost always, I should say. Control. Solve it. Figure it out. Think through it. If I could really think through it, then I'm I'm going to guarantee with certitude my goal. Right. If I could really yeah. think through this and we start doing it with other our relationships, right? Like we start thinking what other people are thinking, supposedly, as if we're all knowing that's a form of anxiety. We come up with lots of bad ideas. So control, solve it, think through it. I'm going to read everything. So I'm really just going to go ask everybody. I'm just going to go make things happen. And what happens as we do that, then our anxiety spikes higher. And we think the more we participate in that control of thinking and overthinking, that'll allow the anxiety to subside. It'll never work. So your body starts responding. Psychosomatic. She worried herself sick. That's true. Anxiety almost always says, what if? And you and I, with how we're made and with our different issues and wounds, we might ask a thousand a day. We might have plans for 850 of those what ifs. There's just still 150 you don't have answers for. Which is why we need Jesus and not just me and you. What if is a complete waste of time. Now, there's some people that pitch books. Like, it's a good question to ask. That's talking about the possibilities of like going for goals. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about like the fear of all the possibility of possibilities. It's a good distinction, I think. Yeah. Because so, you, can, you can ask what if in hope. You can ask you what go. if in fear. Right. We're focusing on part B there. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So it keeps your mind on what you don't know. There's no Jesus in that. None. And so the person running hot with anxiety over trying to control everything and coming through for everybody to guarantee their goal that's uncertain, I may or may not get what I want, their body can't handle that, so they almost always roll over to escape. The two options out of anxiety, as I see it at least, control or escape. So escape is like binge watch Netflix, gambling, drinking, porn, masturbation, shopping, whatever. Okay, that's just a symptom. It's not the wound. It causes problems. That's not the real problem. It's just a wound. So looking for comfort. Escape means looking for comfort. Comfort from what? The what ifing, the, the the chatter of the brain, all the possibilities of possibilities. Taking your mind off not knowing if you'll achieve your goal, good or bad, it doesn't matter, right? So we step toward our indulgences, we step toward these things, we participate for a bit, but we still have the things to solve. So then we leave our escapes, come back to control, then we have all the guilt for how we escape things and try to hustle harder. It's this sickening circle of shame and regret and it never ends. You got it. You know, until we break the cycle, which is possible. That's right. You you nailed it. And so here we go. But that unresolved anxiety over time can then manifest itself as depression. So what I want to offer the listeners and remind you and I, McKenna, is 
the question, what does the Spirit want to do? What would He like to do in those moments of uncertainty? It's interesting because a nickname for the Holy Spirit is the Comforter. So our escapes are faux or false comfort. And they almost always bring shame. Mm. So they're not real comforting at all. So like, for instance, I struggle on occasion if I'm really in my head about things. Am I really helping anybody if I have any benefit at all? Or if someone says, actually, Jason, you have no benefit at all. That doesn't feel good. And so you, I want to go to McDonald's and order one of everything to feel good. Yeah. So then I do that. Then I feel like garbage after. So the question on the table again is, what does the Spirit of God want to do in the life of the believer that's facing uncertainty? It's a really big question. Right. I think Jesus answers it. What the Spirit wants to cultivate is peace. Jesus doesn't give peace as the world gives, he says, in the book of John. See, the world's version of peace is like the absence of conflict, wartime versus peacetime, inner tranquility, no problems, or achieving all our goals. I'm finally at peace. And Jesus, uh, in the middle of the book of John, just by way of illustration, he's telling his followers that he's leaving them. And I think to myself, if I left everything to follow you and you're leaving me now, what are you talking about? He says this line, Jesus does. I've told you these things so that in me you might have peace. He's telling them he's going to die. And then he also foretells them some things that they'll suffer. Some people think that knowing more equals peace. Knowing things don't always bring peace. But the line Jesus says there, I've told you these things so that in me, not the content of what he said, but in him, they would have peace. The content is terrible, I think. I'm going to die. I'm going to leave. You need me to do this. But I don't, I'm telling you this, that you might have peace, but I don't give peace as the world gives. Later on in the passage, he says something like this. In this world, you will have trouble. No one likes to claim that promise. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, for I've overcome the world. Church history tells us that 10 of the 12 guys that heard that died as martyrs. Did they have trouble? How are they cool? It's like Jesus saying, I'm telling you what's coming, so when it comes, you'll know that I told you. The guy that recorded that, his enemies tried to boil him in oil. It didn't take some historians say he died in the exile of Patmos. This is the Apostle John. Some people believe that he survived that exile and was carried away. He couldn't walk anymore, still in the streets of Ephesus, begging for believers to hold on to the faith. That church actually died. One guy heard it, Judas, and he killed himself. So I guess the statement is still true. He did have trouble. In this world you will have trouble. Take heart, for I have overcome the world. Another translation says, like, have courage or have peace. It's like he's saying this. I want you to know that I know that this, this life's going to be very hard for you. Some things you're going to come into and some things are going to come upon you, but it's okay. It's okay because you have me. I wish he'd say, if you have him, you won't have problems. Churches teach that nonsense, though. So if you have problems, that means you don't have faith. They do. It's garbage. Jesus promises problems. Hebrews 11 talks about people that live by faith. This is a passage, a part of the passage that isn't very popular. One verse in that chapter says and by faith some were sawn in two by faith they died it wasn't by non-faith they died or lack of faith they died how can they be cool how can they have true peace in this world you have trouble but take heart for i've overcome the world i've told you these things so that in me you might have peace true peace is not the absence of problems what jesus is promising is himself in the problem you are not alone. I'll never leave you or forsake you. Please hold on. Please wait. Please trust me. 
do not be afraid, do not be afraid, do not be afraid. And why is that the most common command in the Bible? Another word for fear is anxiety, right? Why are we so, why is it so common? Because we so are. Yeah. That's why that common, that common command is there. I think it's because we so are. We need to hear it. So the spirit's antidote to circumstantial anxiety. I'm not saying there isn't chemistry issues. I'm not going to refute that. But most of our anxiety has to do with how we view ourselves in our world. And we have that view from, our, from how we view ourselves from our wounds. And so the anxiety comes. I'm not enough. I don't have what it takes. And all of a sudden, here comes the anxiety. So the way we partner with the spirit whereby we see peace grow, because you can't white like white knuckle peace, it's character. You have to go to the gym of anxiety to grow in character of peace. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. These are attributes of God in our lives if we suffered and face the insecurities or uncertainties of life. The way we partner with the spirit whereby he grows that character is to tell the truth to how we feel. Truth always informs peace. The truth to ourselves, you got the truth it. to the Lord, the truth to people around the, us that are safe. The truth to ourselves first. We have to tell our feelings how we, what the truth is. Because you can feel a lie. You can feel unsafe. But if the Lord is with you, who could really be against you? This limited, small-time, big thing in our minds is way smaller than the promise of all that God affords us. In Christ. Make it its right size. Peace makes things its right size. In this world you have trouble. He's saying it's trouble. That's a size of something. But take heart because I'm bigger than that. I've taken care of that. I've overcome that on your behalf. It's okay. I think there are a lot of people that did really grow up in what I think some people would would know or recognize you would call it like prosperity gospel okay like really grow grew up in a mindset and being taught that if i am good my life will be easy if i'm pleasing to god mm -hmm. he will grant me what i desire i like, think that's amazing i like that'd be amazing if it was true <laughs> right um it's not, though. Right. The only problem and I have with it is the Bible and reality, too. So, like, David would say stuff like, why do my enemies keep triumphing over me? Why is there blessing upon the wicked? The rain falls on the just and the unjust, the scriptures. Yeah. I think there's a lot of people that are waking up to how that mentality has harmed them. Yeah. yeah. And I think there is... A, a grieving that takes place in mm. that because you weren't prepared for life and you're figuring out everyone's always figuring out how to navigate life mm. but it's almost like you were sold this fake product yeah and before that comes the guilt of like i must not be faithing well enough and then what people would sometimes do is give it up altogether they would abandon the faith there's a massive movement of that right now yes a great falling away it's really really sad yes because it's a tremendous amount of pressure mm -hmm. also that is not the lord in my you opinion it. you nailed it well jesus is saying the opposite of that this life's going to be very hard but right. i'm with you right and i think i feel where I, i've even seen there's this generation of people that are either falling away because the demands of life are too much to reconcile with the God they've been given, mm. or they're pressing in and trying to figure out, okay, who is God in the chaos of life for me? Mm -hmm. 
Who am I in the chaos mm -hmm. of life? What does it look like for me to do life every day and understand the truth of who God is and what he longs to give me? And that never changes regardless of what terrible, awful things are happening mm -hmm. to me and around me. What the Spirit is inviting people to do is obviously trust Him. Tell the truth to how we feel. Some of us have to be honest with how we feel. Like some of us are new to saying I'm anxious or fearful or stressed. And that's mm -hmm. good to start. That's really good. Emotional adults, emotional mature, mature adults can express calmly and clearly what they think, want, need, and feel. So to start with, how do I feel? Cool, I feel anxious. That's good to know. Why do I feel this way? Well, I'm afraid I'm, I'm going to fail. Or it's not going to work out. Or they're going to say no to me. I'm afraid they're going to be unhappy with me. See, all you can see all that's all rooted, that emotion's rooted in identity. Yeah. What is language people can use to assess, to check in with themselves mm -hmm. as far as how am I feeling so that they can change patterns. They can mm -hmm. stop before they go into places of dependency and addiction yeah. or trying to relieve themselves of the tension that they're feeling. Right. I think it is wise to admit first how I feel. So for me, the the sequence would be, improvisationally here one how do i feel i feel worried two why do i feel this way most kids would say well i don't know well, that's a kid's answer think a little longer think a little deeper i'm worried i won't get what i want or i'm afraid of how this is going to go then then dig deeper third question and why am i so fearful of not getting what i want or my goal here next what do i believe it says about me if i do or don't get my goal or my outcome or what i want and lastly, maybe most importantly in that moment, what does the Father say? Give him a chance. If you're not sure, ask him. But you might know him well enough, his word or his character at least, to answer that right in the spot. Many men can't answer how they feel. Maybe more women can, not all, but more. But a lot of people struggle with the second one. Why do I feel the way I feel? Some people can do that. But lastly, or third, what do I think it says about me if I do or don't get what I want? But the most intimate one, the heart of it is, what does the Father say? The Spirit's response, He wants to cultivate joy. You cannot, like, white-knuckle that. You, you have to participate with Him. He does the work. And so let's define our term. I think the antidote to circumstantial depression is not always getting what we want, but turning our eyes off our goal and setting them on the Father, specifically His love for you. Not as sovereignty, not as holiness, which are amazing attributes to set your eyes on. But it won't always solve the depression. Mm. So, defining joy would be something like deep-rooted contentment. Paul discovered, the Apostle Paul discovered this idea of like learning to be content in all things. Is it because he had everything he wanted? Or is it because no one could take away the love of the Father from him? So, like, he and Silas are in prison and they're singing. Is it because they're happy in prison? Are they happy to be in prison? Or is it because, listen, if I'm going to live, I'm going to live for Christ. If I'm going to die, I'm going to go to Christ. You want to do want to kill me? Like you can't rob that guy's joy. Jesus is on the cross and the scriptures say, for the joy set before him, Christ endured the cross. Was Jesus happy on the cross? That would be maniacal. Yeah. How can he be cool? He only looks to the Father the whole time. He only looks to the Father. The apostles, they can't shut up talking about Jesus, Jason's translation, in the middle, of the, uh, beginning or middle of the book of Acts. And the, the text says at, that they were put in prison and flogged and beaten. 
And one translation says, upon the release, at that time they were filled with inexpressible and glorious joy that they were counted worthy to suffer for Christ. Wait, what? Or the book of James probably has the most famous verse with the word joy in it for many believers. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. What's wrong with that, dude? How can he write that? Is he saying right. be happy when things are bad? That's that. There's that's there's no way that's what that is. It's setting your eyes instead of making your goal your God, which most of us do. Then you're gonna have to have depression and anxiety doesn't come through. But if you set your eyes on God and let your goals just be your goals and let God be your God, then what you'll be reminded of as you're waiting or as it's something seems impossible or as labeled as impossible or is impossible. You'll well up with joy because you at least you know this. Nothing can separate me from the love of God in Christ. So this is why Paul writes in Ephesians, Romans, I want you to know the breadth and width and length and height of God's love. Why? For some of those readers, their friends are dying for the faith. Because nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ. This is what will get you through. Pure and true joy. But elation and happiness, euphoria, that's all different stuff. So the antidote to our circumstantial depression isn't achieving our goal, but setting your eyes on the affection of the Lord for you. And you will well up with a deep-rooted contentment, even though you're still longing for some other things, but way lesser things than the love of God. C.S. Lewis wrote a book called Surprised by Joy. I don't know why people don't push that one. They like the other ones that he does, but really that's the story, I think, of how he was won over from unbelief, like an angry atheist, to belief. And the thing he focused on, he couldn't overcome. He couldn't, he couldn't refute anymore the love of the Father. The whole point is setting your eyes on what God's doing. Is it possible that he might be up to something in your life that you don't really want right now, but could be really, really, really loving and good for you? It's possible. It's a hard one to, to swallow, I think. But mm-hmm. it's the truth most of the time. <laughs> sure. I get, I'll say this. Hey, you're free not, we're free not to do it. And we're yeah. welcome to have the depression and the anxiety yeah. if you like. I think along with the topic of depression, I think it's important to say too that grief and sadness and sorrow are not wrong. Mm-hmm. And they are, I believe, very holy things. That you can find the Lord in mm-hmm. and walk through very profound spaces with him. Well, Jesus was a man of sorrows acquainted with much grief. Yes. That depression, which is a stage in grief, despair, is not totally the same as depression because I haven't received or achieved or have what I need or want right now. But it is real. It's a real feeling and it's a real stage in grief. You grieve to the degree that you love. So if I want a grief-free life, then you have to have a love-free life. Yeah. I feel like in my, in my life, I've often found myself in seasons of depression or struggling with anxiety because I feel avoidant to know how the Father feels about me. Or I feel avoidant to know the truth in the face of something I've believed about myself. Mm-hmm that isn't the truth. You have these lies that have been planted since you were a child, and then I swear there's this life has a way of finding a million ways to reinforce that lie, too. Mm, That's true. It could be just because the lie are the goggles I have on, 
And so I see everything through that filter, mm -hmm. through that lens. Mm -hmm. But what's so outrageous is that even in all the work you can do throughout your life, you still have this little tiny morsel of shame that you, oh, I still have work. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know. I hear it this way more through the accuser, like, oh, you thought you were over that by now. Right. I think everyone struggles with that one. I think it requires a really deep understanding, again, of the Lord has never asked me to come to Him with everything figured out. Or the Lord's never asked me to only approach Him once I am whole and healed. <laughs> mm -hmm. Like, what would be the whole point of my, my life and everything He's done? It's so much more broken and disgusting and, and awful than... <laughs> but I think it's beautiful. He, he invites us to come to Him in our emotion. He never says, why don't you check yourself first before we talk? Plus, he already knows the emotions, so cast your anxieties to him. He knows you have them. He doesn't say, cast them before you talk to him. He's big enough to handle it. You are not too much for him. He knows what emotions are. He built you. Christ demonstrated emotions. It is depicted of the Father that he has them throughout Scripture. So he can meet with you in them. But would you let him do some surgery with you? And it will... Sometimes it's painful, but it always brings healing. Those dark emotions, those negative emotions, really ultimately show that we care about things. And that's cool. That's good. Um, it's just those emotions, if we let them fester and they're undealt with, they can really hurt us over time. But to have them is okay. Have them and work through them is the best. Living Rooted is more than just a podcast. It's an invitation to a transformed life, rooted in the love of God. We hope you've been encouraged, challenged, and empowered to discover more about yourself and the Father's heart toward you. If you'd like to know more about Rooted to Live Ministries, visit rootedtolive.com. Follow us on Instagram for more resources, and don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform.